0: Now, this morning we're continuing our look at the book of Romans, and we're in the second part of Romans chapter 5, so if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me. Today we're going to be talking about the grace of God. Now, the grace of God shows up all throughout the book of Romans, but in the second half of chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verse 12 down to verse 21, we see this idea of when the grace of God abounds in our life and the difference that that makes. So again, Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 12, let me read that for us. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to gather together this morning and to look at your word together. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture today, that you'd speak to our minds and that you'd speak to our hearts and that you'd help us to understand it in its entirety and to grow from it. And Lord, we know that You've made it abundantly clear in this portion of of Scripture and and elsewhere in Your Word that, that You want Your grace to abound in our lives. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this today that reminds us of that truth. And we thank You for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask a question as we begin looking at this portion of Scripture this morning. In life... So think about this in a very personal way. In life, would you rather get what you deserve, get what you don't deserve, or a little bit of both? So would you you rather get what you deserve, get what you don't deserve, or maybe a little bit of both? Uh, Last week, uh, at our sister church that we're uh, planting down in West Conchahawken, we started a children's program, and we're calling it the same thing that we call our children's program here. We call it Kid Zone. We started it uh, last Sunday night was the first night. We had some children come, and and uh, it was exciting. It was fun to see. We had five kids come, uh, meeting them for the very first time. I was very excited by that, and we had the chance to meet their parents as well. And so during the time we were there, I was thinking, all right, well these five kids, this could be really like the germination of. Uh, a, a, a fruitful ministry here. And so I said to them, guys, I just want to let you know, I have a gift next week for any one of you that brings a friend. And I'll give the same gift to your friend if you bring them. There's a McDonald's right down the street from that church. And I said, during, uh, your time here, for anyone that brings a friend and their friend, they'll, will get this too. I'm going to go down to McDonald's and I'm going to get whatever flavor milkshake you want. And, uh, and they're like, oh, wow, that'll be great. And so they were talking about, well, I'm going to invite this, I, oh, I should invite so-and-so. So I hope they really do it. You know, if, they, if we get there tonight and no one, no one uh, brings a friend, I'm going to have to go get myself a milkshake to just, like, soothe my sorrow. Um, but uh, one girl looked at me, and she kind of had, a like, a smirk on her face, uh, but, her, her like, her smirk was turned down. So she looked a little disappointed. I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, well... That's no good. And I was like, why? I said, I thought that would be great. You know, I'm offering to get you a milkshake if you bring a friend. She's like, but what if I, what if we can't bring a friend? Like, what if we don't bring somebody? What happens? Do we just have to watch somebody else drink a milkshake? And I was like, well, it's peer pressure. That's how like, that's how the game works, right? I didn't say that. And I, I, I said, well, you, you could bring a friend. I tried to spin it optimistically. And she said, I don't know. I, I really don't know if I can. I don't really live right around here. And uh, she seemed a little disappointed at my offer, because she was hoping that I would also get milkshakes for kids that hadn't earned it, or maybe didn't deserve it, even though deep down I know she knows that it's kind of a good incentive. She also was thinking from her own perspective, but what if I can't come through with this? What do? Can't, how do I get one of these things? Essentially, what she wanted was to be shown grace. She wanted grace. That's what she was saying in, in her response to me. She wanted me to show her grace. Now, I think it's interesting that we come to this portion of Romans chapter 5 on a day today when we've gathered together so many gifts to be sent around the world for Operation Christmas Child. But when you look at Romans chapter 5, it speaks about grace. And if you want to simplify a definition of grace in your mind, and this is obviously a very simplified definition, but one way you could describe grace You could say it's an undeserved gift. It's a gift that you didn't deserve. Something that you were blessed with that you didn't earn or deserved. So when we're shown grace, we're given a blessing that we did not do anything to earn. And displaying grace, so if you're a a person who displays grace, that's a wonderful trait to try and display throughout the course of your life. But there's no greater example of grace than what we've been shown by God through Jesus Christ. And in fact, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this that describes that, and so we're going to look at that in detail, the application of this to our lives is that the Lord wants our lives to abound with grace. That grace would be a characteristic of our lives as men and women who trust in Jesus Christ. That displays of the grace of God at work in our lives would be evident and visible. But I think to fully appreciate the depth of the grace of God that we've been shown, it's helpful for us to begin by understanding just how bad things would be for us without the grace of God. And that's what you could see the Apostle Paul doing in the opening verses of what we looked at in verse 12 and the verses immediately after. And one of the things that you'll notice in verse 12 and then right after that, this portion of Scripture talks about Adam. And it talks about the fact that through Adam came sin and death. Through Adam came sin and death. Let me reread verse 12 down to verse 14. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now let's pause there for just a second and think about what's communicated in those verses. By the way, you ever take the time to look up your family tree? Anyone have a relative that does that sort of thing? Uh, I can't, yeah, Wendy does and some others do. Um, I have an uncle who's really, really good about keeping track of our family tree. And in fact, he actually just traced down, I can't remember if I've mentioned this to you already, but he chased down information to find out where our great-grandparents were buried because none of us knew where they were buried, and um, or excuse me, great-great-grandparents they would be. Um, and so he actually found their graves recently, a couple weeks ago, and he went there and he cleaned off the graves and, and made their headstones look very nice and sent us all a picture so that we could see and then told us where they were buried. But I enjoy studying the history of my family. I like finding documents. You know, I, I haven't done a whole lot of it. My uncle does most of it, but he tends to share what he finds with me or link to the information online. And I very much enjoy reading about it and learning about the people that play a role in where I live, and maybe even what I look like, and things of that nature. And uh, I find that interesting. I find it motivating. But when I look through my family tree, if I'm perfectly honest, there are some people that I have a high degree of respect for, and then other people that I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to copy that example. And your family tree is similar to that, too. I'm certain of it. Because if we each trace our family tree back far enough... We all get back to the same guy. And that's who Paul's referencing here. We all get back to Adam. We all land on the same person. We all have that common ancestor, right? Adam. Adam, the Scripture describes him here. He speaks, you know, he's the first man. The Lord created Adam in his image. He designed him to flourish on this earth. It was a perfect earth with no corruption and no sin. And Adam was designed to flourish here, and he was encouraged to just make, you know continue in this perfect relationship that he had with God. Adam had been given dominion over creation. He was encouraged to be fruitful and to, and to multiply uh, with his wife Eve, who had been uh, made from Adam's rib. And by the way, I'm, I'm grateful that our church family continues to follow that example. Uh, we had... Um, Oh, let's see. What, two babies born in the past week? Nice job, church. That's, that's good. You know, hey, but it's a new week. You know, so let's let's see. Let's see how we do this week, right? But Adam was told, be fruitful, be multiply, or, or multiply, fill this earth. And, you, and so he and his wife Eve, who had been made from him, taken from his side, were given that instruction. they were encouraged to do that. Adam was given the privilege to work joyfully in the Garden of Eden. Not a not a uh, a task that he would despise, but something that he would joyfully experience and participate in. He was told he could eat from from all like all these plants that were growing that would be just beautiful and bountiful and tasty and delicious, and would grow easily without thorns and thistles and weeds and and all the things that we experience now as part of a corrupted creation. Initially, he didn't have that as his experience. He was told you could eat from all of this, and he was given one instruction that was a a prohibitive instruction. He was told, you can eat from all this stuff, all these trees, all these plants, with one exception. You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. But you could eat from all this other bounty. You could eat from all of it. And that was good, and it was beautiful. And for a little bit, it seems like Adam kind of went with that, and then all of a sudden, the day came when he didn't. And Adam willfully rebelled against the Lord, and he willfully ate from the tree, and he became a lawbreaker. And Adam was told ahead of time that if he sinned against God by eating from that tree, he would die that he would invite death in his life, that it would have that kind of ramification ultimately for all of us. But he was told he would die, and he did it anyway, and therefore sin came into the world. That's what the Apostle Paul is describing as he sets up the condition that humanity finds himself in. So now this whole earth, this earth that Adam had dominion over, it was cursed in that moment. And the whole earth is affected by Adam's sin, and it groans, Scripture tells us. The earth groans because of this infection, because of the curse that it's under. And not only is this earth affected by Adam's sin, but so are his descendants. We're infected by it. right? Without needing anyone to show us how to sin, we have instinctively known how to rebel against God. And that's something that every single one of us has done. No one ever had to teach me how to rebel against God. Instinctively, I knew how to do, how to do that. And so did you. And so has all of us. And that's a trait we receive as a part of our lineage as coming from Adam. And just as Adam's sin resulted in his death, so too are his children subject to the sting of death as well. That's the boat that all of us are in. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting in these verses that open up the section of Romans that we're looking at today. And in fact, when you look through the Old Testament law, so you're looking through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you're seeing these things that were written many, many years after Adam's act of rebellion, but the Scripture tells us that even before the Old Testament law was communicated to Moses to write down, humanity was steeped in sin. Even before they had the law to look at and say, oh yeah, I can break that. It's like, you, I, raise, I, I hear you and I raise you two commandments and I can break all of them. It's like, you think, all right. And so we have been adept at breaking commands even before the commands were given. And... The Scripture tells us that even before the Old Testament law had been given to Moses, humanity was steeped in sin. Even before we knew the details of God's law, we had hearts that were set on breaking it. That's the nature of mankind. Even before the Lord had given us the details of His law, we were ready to break it even before we heard a word. Ever since Adam went his own way, we have incorrectly believed that we will be fine on our own and that we don't need God and that we don't need His counsel. Is that not... Now, you don't have to admit this out loud. Just admit it and be honest in your heart because we all know the answer. But is that not what we've all wrestled with and what we've all struggled with? That we don't need God's presence, that we don't need His counsel. Every time I look over and survey my life and have regrets in areas that I'm like, oh, if I could do that moment differently... There's a a trait that runs through it, and the trait is this I listen to my counsel over the counsel of God. Have we not all done that? Do we not all struggle with that every single day? Effectively saying, Lord, I'm wiser than you. I can handle this in and of myself without your intervention, without your presence. That's what Adam was doing, going beyond what God had commanded him, saying, you know what? In effect, I worship myself in this moment. And I hear what you've said, but I'm choosing to ignore it. And I'm willfully rebelling against you because in this moment, I've allowed myself to become convinced that I know what I'm doing and maybe you don't. And that's effectively what we've been doing throughout the course of human history. And when you think about that, when you apply it in a personal way, when you don't just think about it in relation to other people, but when we think about it in relation to ourselves, does this not show us just how lost we are apart from Christ? On our own, we are overpowered by sin. On our own, we're compelled to obey sin like a cruel master. We struggle to perceive its long-term consequences. In fact, when we're in the midst of it, that's the last thing we want to even think about. Don't think about its long-term consequences. And what we also like to do is trivialize it or minimize it while it lurks over us just waiting to kill us. And yet we keep telling ourselves, I'll be fine. I'll be the one exception. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I can invite this into my life and this into my life. I can ignore the counsel of God here. I can ignore the counsel of God here. And we invite sin into our life and it loves to dominate us and it loves to lurk over us. And it's just waiting to devour and kill us. And yet we're saying, get closer get closer. Let me see how close I can get. Let me see how close I can get. That's exactly what Adam was doing. It's interesting when you look at, at portions of Scripture like, um, looks like I'm going to have to have you do this for me in the back here. But in, in the, the book of James, there we go, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. By our own desire. We're tempted and by the way, don't we like to blame our temptations on external sources mostly? And there are external sources of temptations. This this world tempts me and you, and and the devil tempts me and you, but there's a third source of temptation that we often minimize. And James chapter one, he brings it up. He says, He says each person's tempted when he's lured and enticed by His own desire. Well, what's this, my own desire? Like, what's it talking about? Well, it's talking about this infection of sin that's been transmitted to me, straight from Adam, to our forefathers, to us, by our own desire. And that desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. I like what it tells us in Psalm 19, verse 13, and this is like a prayer worth praying. We have David saying to the Lord, Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Is that a prayer we've prayed to the Lord? Lord, keep me from deliberate sins. I don't want to be deliberately sinning against you. If I sin, I want it to be because I I accidentally went in this direction or that direction or I stumbled. But I don't want it to be where I'm deliberately sinning against you, Lord. You know, keep me from deliberate sins. Don't let them Control me. That's what David was praying to the Lord. But we're in a tough spot without the Lord's intervention. Because it tells us that we rebelled against Him in Adam. We rebelled against the Lord. We're culpable as if we were there in Adam's moment of rebellion. And in fact, spiritually speaking, we were. And if the story ended there, that would be very sad, wouldn't it? Rebellion, sin, death period. And God would have been perfectly just if He decided to end it right there, and yet He chose to show us grace, and He chose to show us mercy. The story doesn't end with Adam's rebellion, nor does it need to end with us remaining under sin's dominion forever. Scripture tells us here in these the opening verses of what we're looking at, I don't know if you caught this when we were first reading it, but it describes Adam as a type of the one who was to come. One of the uh, theologians I was reading this week used the word prototype to describe this. So that's kind of the thought here. You know, Adam was a prototype of the one who was to come. Adam was a type of the one who was to come, meaning that when we take a look at Adam, and we see his act of rebellion and how that had an impact on all of us, we see a glimpse of the one who was to come. One who would be like Adam in the sense that that what he did would affect humanity and affect all creation, but also one who would be unlike Adam in that what he was about to do was going to bring life instead of death. And the Scripture tells us that Jesus has overcome sin and death. Look at what it tells us in verse 15 down to verse 17 of Romans 5. It says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by, that, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Just recently, someone asked me to suggest a gift idea for a friend. This is going to be a time of year where where uh, many of us are trying to figure out gift ideas. And uh, I was asked to suggest a gift idea for a friend. They wanted to surprise this person with something nice, but they didn't know what to give. So I made a few suggestions that I thought would be in line with my friend's tastes, and hopefully I gave good suggestions. If I didn't, hopefully they don't say where they got the idea from, right? But I did my best to pick something that I thought would make sense, because gifts are good. Gifts are nice, are they not? You know, as you were packing up your Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes this week, right, us last-minute people, (laughs) Um, you know, it was mentioned to me this morning by multiple people how fun it was, right? Gifts are nice to receive. They're also nice to give. We enjoy that, right? They're enjoyable. On both ends, giving, receiving, very enjoyable, And when you think about it from the perspective of, like, the broad perspective of God's perspective, every day that we live, every day that you or I live, is another day where we're privileged to experience gifts from God that we may not initially notice because His generosity is so, so abundant that we could start to become a little bit used to it. I sometimes think I'm too used to God's generosity and kindness to me. And I suspect I'm not the only one. We get so used to it because he's so generous. And if we were tempted to try and number the blessings that God has blessed us with, we would not be able to do it. There'd be certain obvious things that we'd be able to list. Uh, but then there's other things that revealed to us that we could always be going one level deeper. You know, one level deeper, just kind of looking at and analyzing what's going on around us, as we're trying to quantify both the visible and the invisible blessings that we've been given by God. And when you look at the verses that we just read from Romans 5, verse 15 down to verse 17, you have the Apostle Paul using a phrase over and over again. He keeps talking about this free gift. Now, I don't know if you counted as we were going through those three verses, but he keeps saying free gift. And I think if I counted that right, I think he says it five different times. Five times in three verses. Five times in three verses, he uses this phrase, free gift. Five times. Over and over, he keeps saying it. I guess we're supposed to take notice of that. Because it keeps coming up. And now consider what he tells us about this free gift. We're told that the free gift that God gives is not like Adam's trespass. So you see where Adam's trespass got us. But the free gift is different. We're told that while Adam's sin hurt many the free gift of God has benefited many. We're told that while Adam's sin resulted in our condemnation, the free gift brings our justification. We're also told that the free gift, of, it, the free gift that God supplies is a gift of righteousness that will allow us to reign with Christ and live forever. Again, in contrast... To Adam get, you know, giving up his dominion over creation and dying. So it's a big contrast between the two. So again, what is this free gift that Paul keeps referencing over and over? Well, the free gift that's being spoken of here is the grace that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. That's the gift of God to us. The grace we've been shown in Christ Jesus. We've been given the gift of his righteousness which overcomes our sin. We've been given the gift of justification that overcomes our condemnation. We've been given the gift of life that overcomes our former death sentence. By grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, this is the gift that we're given freely. It's not that it didn't cost God something, It's just that it's given to us freely. And it's a good gift. And there's no greater gift than anyone could ever receive than the grace of God that's shown to us in Christ Jesus. There's no greater gift. And any gift that you and I ever have the opportunity to just kind of think about, even for a moment, is another opportunity that we're being given to even praise God and simply thank Him for the gift that He's shown us in His Son. Do you ever hear of the? Uh, and I don't expect you to have heard of this man, but I'll mention his name anyway. Uh, in the late 1800s, there was an evangelist. He was an English evangelist. His name was Henry Morehouse. Uh, anyone ever hear that name, Henry Morehouse? Okay, a few people. I didn't really expect that you would have. Um, but Henry Morehouse, I guess he had come to the United States here, and he was doing some evangelistic campaigns. And I don't know what city he was in when this happened, but he happened to be in a particular city, and he was in a very poor part of the city. Um, from what I understand. And at that time, um, you know, the way that you would engage in commerce at certain areas, it was certainly different than what we're used to now. In fact, the way you would buy food was very different. Um, and, she, and he saw a little boy go um, to, I guess, a market to get some milk. And, you know, we're used to disposable cartons and jugs and things of that nature, uh, but the way it would work back then, often you would bring your own container. You know, you bring your own pitcher, and then they'd fill it with milk, and then you bring your own pitcher back home. And so this young boy goes in to get some milk, and it's filled up, and he pays for it, and then he starts walking back to his house, but he's little, and proportionate to his weight, this milk's really heavy, and I guess it was just slippery enough, and the ground was uneven enough that he tripped, and he fell, and he broke the pitcher, and he's covered in milk, and there's milk all over the ground, and he's crying, and Morehouse sees this, happens right in front of him, and so he walks up to the boy, and he's trying to console him for a second, he's like, well, wait, before you get too upset, let's see if we could put the pitcher back together, and so he takes the pitcher, and they're trying to assemble the pieces, and it becomes very clear, like, yeah, this is not going back. <laughs> this is done now. And so he's wrestling with what to do. And he says to the boy, he's like, all right, you know what? Just follow me here. So they walk to another shop. He buys a new pitcher, goes back to the market, has the, the guy that runs the place just kind of wash it out for him, fill it up with milk. And the, the boy was upset the whole time. He said, my mom's going to whip me. As soon as she finds out I did this, she's going to whip me. And Morehouse is saying, all right, be calm, be calm. Gets the new pitcher, they wash it out, fills it up with milk again. Morehouse pays for all of this. And then he sends the boy home and uh, he says to the boy, he says, you know, are, are you okay now? Do you still think your mom's going to whip you? And he said, oh no, oh, no she's not going to whip me. This is a much nicer picture than I left the house with. This is way better than what I left the house with earlier. She's going to be pretty pleased when I show up with this one. And I mentioned that. I read that recently, and I, I thought I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was a nice example of... Uh, Of showing somebody grace, right? Blessing somebody with a gift that they didn't earn or deserve, but just blessing somebody as having a heart that's been touched by the grace of God, what it looks like to display that in all contexts. But again, what has God done for us? You know, in that context, you have that boy saying, oh, it was a much better picture than what we had before. God's given us something better than what we had before. Way better than what we had before. Our natural birth as a descendant of Adam resulted in what? It resulted in sin and death being handed down to us. That's what we had before, sin and death. Christ has come to give us a new birth. In His resurrection, what did Jesus overcome? He overcame sin. He overcame death. He rose from the grave, sin and death. The grip, the power that sin and death had over humanity, it was broken. And now as men and women who have been born again to a living hope through faith in Jesus Christ, we experience a spiritual birth that is greater than what we had before. It's greater than our natural birth. We were once overcome by sin. We were once overcome by death. But that's no longer the case for all who trust in Jesus Christ. As He overcame sin and death, so too does He make us overcomers who share in His victory. portion of Scripture that I enjoy reading in any context, but I certainly enjoy reading this in the context of the funerals that I officiate for brothers and sisters who know Jesus Christ, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And maybe you're familiar with this, or maybe you've never heard it before, but let me read it for us. It's from the second part of verse 54 down to verse 57. But it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ overcame sin and He overcame death, and He looks at you, and He looks at me, and He says, my victory becomes your victory. I share it with you as we trust in Him. Let me ask a question related to the application of this truth now, not just in regard to the future when our bodies wear out and we go to be with the Lord, but I want to ask something related to right now in our lives. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Have you ever asked yourself if you're living right now like sin and death have been overcome in your life? Do you know what I mean by that? Because I throw that question out there. Does that sound like a strange question to ask? Are we living right now like sin and death have already been overcome in our life? Or do we mistakenly give sin and death too much sway or too much influence in our thinking? Meaning, do we live like like we're powerless to escape our areas of temptation? You know, if you have an area that you've identified that you're saying, yeah, I feel kind of weak in that area. Have you convinced yourself that you are powerless to escape that temptation? Or are you applying the truth of the gospel to that situation? Because the truth of the gospel is that the power of sin and death no longer needs to overcome us. And that's not just talking about sometime in the distant future. That's talking about now. The sting, the power of sin and death. Christ defeated these things. How about this? Can you point to areas in your life where you're gripped by irrational phobias or unhealthy fears that if you trace them back to their source, they actually find their root in your fear of death. These irrational phobias, these unhealthy fears, you trace them back and you realize, really what this is saying is I'm afraid of death. So again, I'm saying, do we live like sin and death have already been defeated, or is there a part of us that's actually still living like the opposite is true? When we look at a portion of Scripture like we're looking at today, and when we look at a, a complementary Scripture like what we see in 1 Corinthians 15, what's it reminding us of? Death is swallowed up in victory. Who gives us the victory? God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And He's not just talking about some distant day. He's saying the moment you trust in Christ, that's a victory that's applied to your life you're blessed with it. So I mean as we think about this stuff, we could ask ourselves like the follow-up question and that's this, you know, do we want to remain stuck in unbiblical or irrational thinking or would we like to start exercising and experiencing a taste of what it looks like to demonstrate that we actually believe that Christ has overcome sin and death in our lives? Do we want to live like that now or do we want to stay stuck in an old mindset that really has no basis in our spiritual reality. When we look at a portion of Scripture like this, I think we need to look at it and say, you know what, God's called me to live like I am finally free from sin's grip. I'm not its puppet anymore. You're not its puppet anymore. God's called us to live like we're actually alive. Yes, your body's going to wear out. And you're going to get a brand new one. And the brand new one's not going to wear out. It's not going to ache. I was talking to a friend yesterday He's getting his second knee replacement. Guess what? The new one he gets, no knee replacement's necessary. This one wears out, but the one that's coming doesn't. And the Lord's told us these things ahead of time to bolster us, to encourage us, to remind us of His grace that abounds in our lives, giving us gift after gift after gift that we don't deserve. And in this portion of scripture that we're looking at today, there's one other thing that Paul points out to us, and very quickly I just want to reference it to us, and that's this the power of God's grace, it conquers sin's oppression. Look at what it says in verse 18, 19, 20, and 21. First two verses here kind of recap what the other verses say, and then it concludes with 20 and 21. But there we see, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. For all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So you have Paul recapping what we just talked about. And then in verse 20 it says Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. leading leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God desires that his grace abound in our lives. That's his desire for us. The Old Testament law revealed to us his holiness and showed us that we were incapable in and of ourselves to meet God's standard. But in his grace, he lifts us up out of the mess that we were steeped in. And when you look at a portion of scripture like this, what does it teach us? Well, it teaches us that the grace of God conquers the oppression that evil once had over us. Sin reigned in death, but grace reigns through righteousness. And it leads to eternal life through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Adam rebelled against the Lord. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, honored the will of the Father and kept His law for us. And as God has made His grace abound in your life and in my life through His Son, Jesus Christ, I think we ought to make it our like a calling card of our lives to be excessively generous in the sharing of grace with others. Just as a daily expression of how thankful we are to be recipients of the grace of God, it should be like a calling card for every believer in Christ to be just over-generous, and over-gracious as we interact with others. Don't withhold it when it's in your power to give it. Let it be a, a constant testimony to the thankfulness that you experience in your heart for the grace of God that abounds to you. It will make a difference in someone's life, and it will, without a doubt, be used by our Heavenly Father to give this world a glimpse of the heart of His Son. Let me finish by saying this. A few minutes ago, I mentioned to you that last week we started that kids program over at West Conchahawken, and I made that comment to that, uh, that group of kids, hey, guys, you bring a friend, you get a milkshake. And then I had that one little girl, I can't remember her first name, the girl in the orange coat, what was her name? Miley, thank you, thank you, Miley. And so Miley looked at me, and she's like, but what about the kids that don't bring a friend? And I didn't have a full answer for her yet, but I thought about it all week long. What about the kids that don't bring a friend? So I guess if I'm living out, what I just took a half hour or so to preach, guess what I get to do tonight? Milkshakes for everybody. (laughs) Milkshakes for everybody. The whole community of West Conshohocken, if they all show up, milkshakes for everybody. Thanks, Miley, Right? (laughs) But as Christ has been generous to us, as He's shown us His grace, as He's made His grace abound in our lives, so too do we have the privilege to live that out as men and women who are thankful to Him for it. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this today and to just think about it and meditate on it and just reflect on how good you are to us. Obviously, Lord, we're mindful of the fact that we don't deserve these gifts. This isn't something that that we've earned from you. The only thing we ever earned from you is the same thing Adam earned. That's condemnation. Distance. That's where our sin had led us, to death. And yet the gift that you give is not like the wage that we've earned. Where there was death and condemnation, you've given life, you've given justification through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, you know our hearts, you know the hearts of every adult and every child that's in this building this morning, and we're grateful that we have the privilege to start off our week thinking about these things, but you know where we're at right now. And Lord, you know if we've spent our lives up to this point thinking like our own counsel was sufficient and putting you somewhere on the periphery or the sideline of our lives and our minds and our thinking. But Lord, we pray if that's been the case, that today that would change. We pray that today we would become mindful of your grace, that we would trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us, that we would experience the gift of his righteousness, that we'd experience the gift of justification that you grant to all who trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, He lived the perfect life for us that we couldn't live. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. He rose from the grave to defeat Satan and to defeat sin and to defeat death. And Lord, you promise us in your word that if we trust in your son, the victory that he secured when he rose from the grave becomes the victory that we get to experience. So Lord, I pray for any heart that may be present in this building today or even anyone that may hear the recording of what we've looked at today you would soften that heart you would open that mind and that every one of us that has had the privilege to hear what you've said in your word today would come to faith in your son Jesus Christ Lord by your grace make this the day of our salvation and if we do trust in your son we pray Lord that we would live it that we would live that faith out that we would testify in small ways and in big ways that we are mindful of the grace that you have blessed us with And that when we show grace in unique ways and specific contexts, that it would always be a testimony, a small way of giving praise to you for the grace that you've shown us in your Son. So again, Lord, we're grateful for these reminders from your Word today. We're grateful for the privilege just to spend a little time at the start of our week thinking about them. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.